Welcome into the Crypto Bunker. Today, I want to do something a little bit different. I want to take a look back uh, because throughout the past two years, we've seen so much action across this crypto market. It was truly a magical time to be alive and to be a part of. Um, so let's take, take a look back before we try to look forward to what's ahead. So first, we had the great crypto crash of March 2020. In March of 2020, we all know what happened. Bitcoin and crypto had its final bear market capitulation, where it fell 50% in one day from about 8,000 to 3,900. This turned out to be the buy of a generation. We then had many great macro speakers and thinkers start to speak about crypto in a way that no one had heard before. As we saw the Federal Reserve print unprecedented amounts of money, out of thin air to stimulate the economy, Bitcoin became very attractive to those searching for a store of value and a hedge against monetary debasement. Monetary debasement is the act of reducing the quality or value of something. In this case, our dollar. Bitcoin is the separation of this money and state. It allows total sovereignty over your own money if you hold your own private keys. After that crash, we had three months of solid accumulation opportunity around 8 to 10K. We broke through the 12K region and had about four months of solid accumulation opportunity from 12 to 15K. At this point, Michael Saylor stepped into the game and really changed Bitcoin forever. He decided to begin purchasing Bitcoin with his corporate balance sheet. And in August of 2020, MicroStrategy began to purchase Bitcoin for that balance sheet. This really made it possible for hedge funds to start looking at it because they could invest immediately in MicroStrategy as a proxy to Bitcoin. Um, it also made it easier for corporate boardrooms and institutions to talk about adding Bitcoin to their balance sheets. At this point, most people were adding Bitcoin to their personal balance sheet. I know I was because it was so obvious to see what was coming. Really, the pandemic created this new digital world um, that we all sort of had to work in. Um, Bitcoin and crypto really began to take off and inventions just sprouted out of nothing um, in this sort of Cambrian explosion of innovation. And really, that also culminated in June of 2020 with DeFi summer. Um, decentralized finance, uh, you know, originally, uh, I guess, was just a few protocols. Um, you know, maybe synthetics, ETHLAND, but total value locked in decentralized finance went from 500 million in January of 2020 to 7 billion in September of 2020. That's more than 10x in less than a year of value locked in DeFi. Most of this was due to yield farming uh, or token rewards, which was really kicked off by compound finance. Um, the token comp in June of 2020. It originally went back to synthetics in July 2019 with their liquidity mining token rewards that really inspired this DeFi summer that we all we all loved and enjoyed. Um, this le then led to Balancer, Rarible, and eventually Yearn Finance. And with no pre-mine for Wi-Fi, the token had a limited cap of 36,000 tokens and the hype exploded. 
We also had the Uni token, which was airdropped after Sushi stole Uniswap's open source code and forked the project to create a token for yield farming. Some say the Uniswap token would have never happened if Sushi didn't do this because they stole a lot of customers who were looking to get more yield and farm the Sushi token. Liquidity providers and users of Uniswap were then airdropped the Uni token and the DeFi market solidified itself as part of the overall crypto market. To think that DeFi tokens are really only 1.5 years old right now is actually insane. It feels like it's been five years, but we are still so early. MasterCard's VP product for digital assets and cross-border payment innovation predicted that crypto would experience the most growth in areas where businesses are able to embed DeFi into their existing framework. Traditional banking on the front end and DeFi protocols on the back end is not as far away as you may think. As this decentralized finance boom was happening, Ethereum was chilling around $200 to $300 for most of it, giving it a valuation of only $7.5 billion or so. Anyone who was seeing this DeFi summer take off and wasn't participating may have just been stacking Ethereum like myself. All of this activity in DeFi was mainly built on Ethereum and using ETH as a token of collateral in all protocols. The value hadn't accrued to ETH, the asset right away, because people were speculating on these DeFi tokens with their Ethereum trying to earn more ETH. Eventually, with the announcement and follow-through of the Beacon Chain, in November 2020, we broke above 400 and the rest is history. Looking back, Ethereum was probably the easiest and smoothest trade you could have taken from that point through the bull market. With all the activity happening on chain, it was obvious to see again what would happen. Next, we're going to talk about the rise of Ethereum and NFTs. What would be to come for NFTs on Ethereum was historic and unprecedented. Even Vitalik Buterin, the creator of Ethereum, says that the innovation that surprised him the most was NFTs. The NFT scene really started popping off when CryptoPunks started moving heavily to the upside, along with NBA Top Shot on the Flow blockchain. Since all NFTs are priced in Ethereum and ETH is used for gas to pay transactions on the chain, the value continued to grow for ETH with this boom in NFTs. Board Ape Yacht Club was inspired by CryptoPunks with the 10,000 profile pick NFTs. Board Ape Yacht Club created a strong community really right off the bat. With people being stuck at home during the pandemic, Clubhouse and Twitter spaces took off. YouTube took off and the metaverse concept was born. Communicating over the internet through blockchain technology and representing ourselves digitally in any way that we wanted through NFTs. Gary V really started talking about punks and NFTs a lot. And this started a movement of celebrities coming out of the closet about how much they loved Ethereum, like Mark Cuban and Ashton Kutcher, for example. Gary V started his own project, V Friends. Um, Kutcher and Mila Kunis went on to start a show called Stoner Cats, where they created NFTs to represent different characters in the show. There are now millions of NFTs. Uh, I believe that many will go to zero, but the classics, I believe, will be antiques for a new era of digital value and scarcity that we're going into. Really, crypto became mainstream in 2021. We saw corporations begin to add Bitcoin to their balance sheets like Square and Tesla, 
We learned about all the university endowments who were already in the space for many years and continue to be now. The critical mass adoption rate was reached when corporations and institutions began to adopt crypto. And that was the go ahead for many to get involved, including hedge funds and even countries like El Salvador. The network effects of Bitcoin have been on full display since the pandemic lows and Zach Pandel, Goldman's head of global FX rates and EM strategy agrees saying Bitcoin's potential for widespread social adoption, given its strong brand on top of its other properties, such as its security, privacy, transferability, and the fact that it's digital, makes it a plausible store of value for future generations. In terms of Bitcoin on balance sheets for corporations, countries, and other holding agencies, we are now at 1.5 million Bitcoin held on balance sheets, which is about 7% of the total Bitcoin in circulation. We, have, we even have companies who hold Ethereum now on their balance sheets, as well as companies who have used Ethereum for its NFT marketplace, OpenSea, and have raised a lot of money from doing so. From Adidas to Nike, Pepsi, Coke, Budweiser, Disney, and many more, we have seen companies use NFTs to grow their market share and product market reach. So what's the macro backdrop from November 2021 until May 2022 and beyond? What have we learned in the past six months from this correction in digital assets? We saw the top of the crypto market when inflation began to show its ugly face in terms of the CPI. This was also around the top of the stock market when the Federal Reserve began to admit that they were wrong about inflation being transitory. This was also when the Federal Reserve members sold their stock holdings because they basically got caught being long this entire time. So not really sure how the Fed remains credible, um, but that's besides the case. But the market began to price in rate hikes as yields rose. When yields rise, that means investors are selling bonds and the yields go up to attract more investors back in. These investors stayed far away from bonds and largely remained far away because who wants a bond when you're losing 5% of your money due to inflation? Inflation is baked into the cake now with the Russia-Ukraine war causing food and oil inflation and really worse than it already would have been, but it, you know, it already probably would have been bad anyway. The Fed now has a major issue. They have inflation that is based on the supply of goods and services, not demand. But the only tool they have is taking away demand for goods and services. What does this all mean? It means the Federal Reserve is now out to lower the stock market intentionally, including crypto and all other risk assets. They intend to do this to lower people's net worth so they stop spending so much in the economy, therefore lowering inflation through the demand side. The issue is because inflation is a supply issue, not a demand issue. It is really, for the most part, not going away, at least not to the levels they want it to, which is 2%. We are consistently now at 8 plus percent, although I agree with people who believe we have seen peak inflation. I don't think this is the last time we see 8%. We may get a few months of relief and we may not. It's really up in the air. But if inflation remains sticky above 3%, this is a reason to not own bonds or stocks. With all this being said, where does crypto fit into all this? The reason I believe that crypto does still remain king on a macro time frame is because it's fundamentally changing the way we do finance, art, business, real estate, everything. That hasn't changed. Developers are still building. 
we are building an alternative financial system that eventually the traditional financial players will have to adopt. They know it, we know it, and everyone knows it at this point. The doom and gloomers are out in full force and will remain out as crypto continues to go sideways and down. Macro forces, Fed balance sheet reduction are a major headwind because as I talked about before, Bitcoin is a hedge against monetary debasement or monetary expansion by the Fed not necessarily consumer goods inflation. And now that they're reeling that back in, expect the opposite. But best believe this could be an opportunity of a lifetime really to accumulate. And this is the time to have your head down grinding. And if you believe in this space long-term like I do, then you know you, you, should, you should stick around. Um, I hope to cover some of what I believe are the projects that will survive and thrive in the next bull and hope you stick around for my next new weekly newsletter. Thank you.